We want to welcome those that are new here this morning. And we're starting a three-week series on prayer. Now, the next two weeks, we're going to do one of the most famous prayers that is known, the Lord's Prayer. But this week, I want you to take God's Word and turn to Psalm 1. Now, you might ask, why are we turning there? Well, Psalm 1 is not necessarily a prayer, but it's been called a gateway to prayer, an entrance to the rest of prayers. In fact, it's really a meditation about meditation on prayer. The Psalter that we often look at as a hymn book was really a book of prayer. And yes, they sang their prayers. That's a bit odd to us, isn't it? I mean, in America, we don't sing prayers. But let me remind you that the Psalms was written before the beginning of America. And if we're violating any tradition, we're violating their tradition, not ours. But isn't it interesting how things seem odd to us when we don't necessarily practice that? But this morning we sang one of the Psalms. We sang a prayer. We also sang some other scripture, the Revelation song, straight out of God's word. But historically, Israel sang much of God's word as well as prayer. And I think there's some intriguing possibilities with that. Now, one of the things I've asked you to do was several weeks ago, I asked you to pray a certain prayer from that point on to Easter. And Together, I wanted us to pray this corporate prayer because corporate prayer requires something different from us. It requires us to reflect and meditate. For instance, here's the prayer I ask you to pray. I'm going to put it on the screen for a moment. This is the first part. Look at the individual phrases. It requires us to consider what it means when we pray to God, help me to love others the way you love me. I mean, what does that mean? There's just an infinitesimal possibility to that, isn't there? But when we ask that and we pray that and we believe that God answers prayer, amen, that all of a sudden a whole world of possibility opens up. Wash me clean from every sin. What does that require us to do? When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, oh, yes, forgive me of this particular sin. I like the phrase, Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. Do we really want that prayer? I mean, that's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? So corporate prayer written from ancient times holds value because we can meditate on what God is saying to and through us as a body. Now, just in case you didn't pray this prayer yet this morning, we're going to pray it together. And there's really two slides, but pay attention to the words. But let's pray together. Dear Father... Thank you for your grace that has made me one of your dearly loved children. Help me to love others the way you love me. Wash me clean from every sin. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me an instrument of your grace, truth, Forgiveness, righteousness, and justice. Use me today for your glory and invite others to follow Jesus Christ as Lord 
I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Look at that one phrase there. Use me or make me an instrument of your grace, truth, forgiveness, righteousness, and justice. I mean, wow. Think about the possibilities. Now, when you hear the word meditation, what comes to mind? Eastern mysticism, chanting, cults. I've run into, as a lot, as a pastor, a lot of people saying, well, you know, Christians really shouldn't meditate because we're getting in areas that we don't know about. And yet, the word meditate is found in Scripture over and over and over again. And it does say all Scripture is profitable. Amen? Now, this word used in Scripture, in fact, our text says that we should meditate day and night. Paul kind of translates that into another phrase when he talks to a specific church saying, you should pray without ceasing. But Psalter, the Psalms, is a book of prayers. And again, for some of you, that sounds a little odd that people outside of our culture would sing their prayers. Let me encourage you, just simply get over it. You know, we have this presumed arrogance about us that says, you know, everyone should do it our way. And if they don't, well, they just really don't have it right. We don't think directly about that, but that's how often we act. So think about this as a gateway to the rest of the Psalter. God is teaching us through this psalmist about what it means to meditate on the things that he's going to be communicating. So let's follow with me. It's six verses long. Psalm 1, beginning at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So our meditation has a very specific goal. When he does this, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. And often in Scripture, water and the Spirit are used in conjunction with each other. That yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, of course, we have to ask ourselves, what is the definition of prosperity? The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And chaff is that empty outside shell that is worthless. It's youthless. It has no nutritional value to it. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in this judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, this word meditate is what I want to focus on this morning. Literally, the word meditate means to mutter. That's the Hebrew word. Now, not mutter incoherent things. When you think about meditating on the Psalms and muttering and meditating on those, they're reciting out loud from memory. And what you realize is there's a lot of different forms. Repetition is one used quite frequently. How many times in the Psalms do we hear a phrase like this? It is good to give thanks. 
Come, let us sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise. The Lord reigns. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I will give thanks. I will sing praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Over and over and over and over, we see this in the Psalms. In fact, in Psalm 136, there's this phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. 26 times. Why the reputation? You ever think about that? If you didn't know, we're thick-headed. It takes us a while to get it. it. We can understand the words. We can memorize it. But to move it from our head to our heart, we are thick-headed. We are hard-hearted. And we forget. And there are some things that we should keep repeating over and over and over and over and over again. Why do we celebrate communion? Every single first Sunday of the month is something that we should remember and never, 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 never forget. By the way, I got five minutes to preach yet. (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to preach after Ricky preaches? Even though it's a week later. Now, can I make a point of application here for a moment? And please take this in the sense that it was meant to be given. Um, we have music that's written today. We sang one of the songs based upon the Psalter. Some of the courses that mimic this pattern of the Psalter, some of, of the songs are referred to as 7-11 songs. Seven words repeated 11 times. And often, <laughs> and often we sit here and say, well, they're shallow. But think about this. How shallow is it to repeat truth about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Now, I get it that we don't always like the kind of music. And I would guarantee you that if we could go back in time, we probably would not like the way Israel sang the Psalter. But we have to be careful that we do not make fun of something that's foreign to us, but others find deep meaning in it. And just because it's not in our comfort zone, or musical preference, we got to be careful because if it is the truth about God, and even though it's repetitive, it is powerful, it's dynamic. And there are a new generation being written, risen up among us that they've been introduced to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords through something not familiar with us. And it's very deep and precious to them. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. What does it mean to outdo one another in showing honor? Honor speaks of value and dignity, giving them preference over your preference. You know, what I realized this week in studying the Psalter is this, that there's sometimes we have to work at our worship. I remember a professor of mine back at Lancaster Bible College made this statement. He goes, listen, You're going to hear a lot of different preachers. Some will be dynamic. Some will be exciting. Some won't say a thing. Some will be boring. But if they open up the Word of God, and if they read Scripture, you should glean something from that very act. And I'll never forget that. Now let's go back to the word meditate. It says we should meditate on God's word, okay? 
That's part of the text. But there's two critical questions we have to ask ourselves. And by the way, Psalter talks about him delighting and being day and night. But the two questions are, what's the original intent of the writer? And number two, what role does the text play in the whole Bible? That speaks to intent and it speaks to content. If we don't ask these two questions, then our meditation will not be grounded on what God is saying. See, meditation is more than just intense thinking. It's more than just letting go of this in our head. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 say this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, here's what we put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Then it says we should bear with one another. You know what bearing with one another means? It means sometimes we don't get along. (laughs) It means we agitate each other. It means we get upset and angry. But Scripture says, you know what? You get in there anyway, and you put up with each other. Why? And then if that isn't enough, he says, if one has a complaint against another, what do you do? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. Ouch. He had to put put that in there, didn't he? So you also must forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And know what verse 16 says then. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And again, it doesn't say if it's the way that you want it. It just says when you do this, put thankfulness in your hearts and let God's word dwell richly in you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now think about that text in our culture, our culture of hyperactivity, our culture of constant distraction and interaction, our culture of social media. They they say we live in an attention deficit culture because there's just so much coming at us constantly. Think about our culture of violence. This past week, Ferguson, two cops were shot. You read the story about Brooklyn, New York, and McDonald's? A 15-year-old girl was savagely being beaten by five to six other teens while people stood by and stood and cheered. One recorded it on their cell phone, posted it on the internet. Think about our culture where the highest officials are arrested for unspeakable crimes. Think about the money scandal and the lies that exist. Why do we need meditation? Because meditation on the word of God, it keeps us on our true north. And our true north is Jesus Christ. Our compass points to Jesus. He is our guide. And this whole idea of meditation in our culture, because of our hyperactivity, because of our constant just shifting and adapting and multitasking, it is a lost art. In fact, in religious circles, there are those who are afraid of it because it it feels a little too 
cultish. Now, are there abuses? Absolutely. And when haven't we learned this? If anything is good, what's Satan going to do? He will seek to counterfeit it. I mean, we know that. So Psalm 1, short version is, he said there's two ways. There's a way of blessing. There's a way of judgment. And Christ spoke of those same two ways. Here's how he put it in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy when it leads to destruction. And those who entered are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There are two ways. There's the way of blessing. There is the way of judgment. Now, Ever notice, and again, our our calling is always consistent, that when we're defined by Christ, ever notice when people who choose not to be defined by Christ and their life gets in a mess, what do they do? They say, well, why would God ever let this happen? I mean, I'm still fascinated why atheists are afraid of prayer. If they don't believe in God, why should they be afraid of people praying? It makes no sense. I love what Billy Graham says. He says, you know, it's God's, well, let me put it this way. He says, God judges, Holy Spirit convicts, and we love. I'm going to say that again. In fact, you say it with me. God judges, Holy Spirit convicts, and we love. See, most of the time we opt out of our responsibility of loving and we become mini messiahs and we do what? We judge and we convict. (laughs) Two ways. There's only two ways. The way of blessing and the way of judgment. So what does it mean in community to bless? What does it mean to love? When we face some really tough circumstances and relationships, what does it mean to bless and love? Now, Psalm 1 promises three things for those who meditate and do what God says. Now, remember, we could look at the counter. For those who do not choose to, it's the opposite. You notice how it first started to talk about walking and standing and sitting? That's a nice word for meditating. We walk in the way of the Lord, we stand in the presence of God, and we sit under his counsel. See, just flip that verse around, and it really kind of speaks to what meditation is all about. But here are the promises for those who meditate on the Word of God day and night. First of all, it's stability. What's the opposite of stability? Instability. The picture here is a tree with deep roots. And a tree with deep roots cannot be blown away. We also know trees do not grow overnight. How many people ever planted a tree next morning? It was (laughs) mature. It doesn't do that. Trees, if they're going to grow, if they're going to have deep roots, they have to stick with it. It has to be regular and steady. In fact, trees, if the roots are going to go deep, have to go through dry seasons. If you keep watering the tree and the roots spread out this way, what happens? Wind comes along, pulls it right out. It promises stability. We've got to stick with it. Regular and steady. Again, contrast, the wicked are like chaff. Chaff is empty, it's useless, it has no value. There's the promise of substance. Now, here he talks about it's going to bear fruit. 
Think about the loss of fruit. It's planted by water. You've heard me say before that often water is a symbol of the Spirit. And when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, what comes to mind? You know, I know in our day and generation, it, it often gets tangled again where we talk about the Holy Spirit filling us. We're afraid he's going to do something weird. <laughs> well, no. Scripture's quite clear about what he will do. Well, well, and I'm going to do this as an exercise for a moment. Ricky did this on the weekend with the men. The fruit of the Spirit is what? And if we can, can we get the camera on this? You can see it on the screen then. There we go. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Say it with me. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what's the opposite of love? Hates. Forgive my spelling. What's the opposite of joy? First, it's sad. That's easier to spell for me. What's the opposite of peace? Worry, unrest. Oh, there we go. There we go. Get past four letters, I'm in trouble. What's the opposite of patience? Impatient. Said four, four letters, my max. What's the opposite of kindness? Mean. Thank you. That's four letters. What's the opposite of goodness? Bad. Well, you people are great. What's the opposite of faithfulness? Unfaithful. I can do this again. Un. What's the opposite of gentleness? Harsh. Uh-oh. There we go. Do you know truly intelligent people know how to spell words more than one way? Okay. <laughs> Think about that for a little bit. You'll get it. Hey, I got a reason for everything. What's the opposite of self-control? Wild. Okay, now here's my question. Look at that list. What are you more like? The red side or the black side? When you think about your week and all the situations you encounter, do you tend towards this or do you tend towards this? Do you see what meditation does? Meditation brings this out in us. When we refuse to center ourselves in God's word and empty ourselves of everything going on and put then in our minds God's word over and over, repeat, King of kings, Lord of lords, over and over, we become like this. So you decide this morning, what side do you want to become? See, the promise of substance, if we meditate, this is what we look like. Then the third thing he promises us is blessedness. And, of course, the opposite of blessedness is discontent. He talks about peace and well-being, not tied to circumstances. And in this life, we may have what's called man existence. You know what that is? God gives you enough just for that day. Now, all of us want enough for next week. In fact, we want enough when we retire at 66 to live out the rest of our lives. 
But God never said, I'll promise you a good retirement plan. He says, well, actually he does. Retirement plan in heaven is just out of this world, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Come on, people, catch up with me. But in this world, sometimes he says, you know what? Just enough for this day. No more, no less. Why? Because it keeps you close to me. And of course, he blesses us so we can bless. But you know how crazy it's getting out there? Past week, read a story about a Georgian Air Force base. Some guards were saying to the people leaving and coming in, have a blessed day. Didn't say God bless you. Just have a blessed day. A non-religious person complained, and now they banned the guards from saying that. Have a blessed day. I mean, there's a lot of other things they could say. <laughs> they should ban, but they don't. But do you understand that regardless of what's happening in culture, and, and we could focus upon that, do you understand that if you listen to nothing but Rush Limbaugh all day, you're going to have a pretty negative view about what's happening? If you listen to the news all the time and you don't meditate on God's word, you are not going to have Christ as your true north. You're going to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I want out of here because everything is going to. I was going to say that, but I don't want to say it across the pulpit. So thank you for finishing my sentence. If you didn't know what she said, talk to her afterwards. Genesis chapter 12. Again, let's look at the context. Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So when you look at the context of Psalm 1, you've got to go back to Genesis 12. God designed us that when he blesses us, he wants us to bless other people. Ephesians chapter 1, 3, Paul says this, You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Romans 12, verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know that prayer? I mean, what if you pray something like, Lord, let me have the privilege to bless someone today. <laughs> I've said that numbers of times that a friend of mine encouraged me to do that. And it changes the outlook on your day when you do that. It changes your eyesight because you look for opportunity rather than seeing what is wrong. It develops a vision with the eyes of God. And we are what we consume. Prophet Ezekiel kind of an unusual story, but I think it illustrates what we're talking about in terms of meditation. In 3 verses 1 and 2, he says this, and God said, he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. That's what meditating is. It is taking, it is eating, it is consuming. So ask yourself, what do you consume all day long? What do you consume in your ears in the conversations? What do you take into your belly? Because that's what moves out into your body. We are called to live an alternative life, way of blessing or way of judgment. Our version has meaning and hope. If we consume his word, if we meditate, it will reorient our view of God, life, and everything and everyone. 
If we don't, James talks about this. He talks about a double-minded, unstable faith that's just tossed by every wind. Let me encourage you to do these three things in closing. Well, the first thing is, since we're talking about prayer, I want to give away a book on prayer. Anybody really want to be challenged about a new way of praying? I see up here. Okay. Drew, I'm going to put it down here. It's yours. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It really, it really teaches. You'll read it, and then what do you do with it? You give it to somebody else. For those that are new, that's my rule. If I give you a book, you've got to read it and then pass it on to somebody else. That one's Drew. Anybody takes it, got to answer to me. <laughs> Learn to pray the Psalms. What I was fascinated with when we had the Uganda kids here, and we put the kids to bed and we'd pray with them, they'd pull out the Psalter and they would pray one of the Psalms. That was a consistent thing they did every single night, and I was impressed with that. We don't think about praying Scripture. And you can do it verbatim. You can paraphrase it. You can read it responsibly. Bible study group settings, you can go back and forth. Why? Why should we pray the Psalms? Because in the Psalms, we ask for things we would not normally ask for. If you don't believe me, read it. <laughs> there are some things there that you're saying, oh, I don't know if I have the nerve to pray that. And I don't know, should I be asking for this? So learn to pray the Psalms. Number two, find some rope prayers and pray them. Now, next two weeks, we're going to deal with the most famous one. What I've discovered in my own life, and like we prayed that first prayer this morning, I end up praying for things I normally wouldn't pray for. I mean, my list includes a lot of people that have a lot of issues and a lot of circumstances. Very few times do I pray, Lord, change me any way you want. And so you take a prayer like that and you pray it, God will answer prayer. He will change it. But the third thing, let me ask you this question. Where are you? And let me give you this analogy. Imagine your soul is a boat. And you've heard me say this before, that to me, self-awareness is, is one of the, the true gifts that we have to have as we come before God. It's called confession and repentance. So we need a keen awareness. And so this, this exercise is not to scold or to put, because every one of us is at various levels in this boat, okay? But I just want to know where you're at right now. Imagine your soul's a boat. Are you sailing? I mean, you're out in the water, the wind is blowing, and I mean, it is just pushing you across the beautiful sunny day, and wow, it is just going so well. Are you rowing? <laughs> you ever get in a sailboat that you have to row? Went no wind, and you know, it might be fun for about the first five minutes, but it's like, man, if I'm going to get somewhere, I've got to really work at this, and it's hard work, and my arms hurt. Are you drifting? No wind, you put, the rope, you put the oars away. It's just kind of like you're there in the water. Is that what your prayer life feels like? Or are you sinking? Now, again, I said this self-awareness, you just need to know where you're at right now because every single one of us, I can grant you in my own life, my own journey, on all four of those things, depending upon what was going on, I was at those various levels. But find out where you are. And then kind of choose to move up a notch. Take something, whether it's a rope prayer, whether it's praying the Psalms, whether it's getting together with a prayer group, and just start doing something 
differently. Reorienting this mind, meditating on, on God's word day and night. And allow this side to be the fruit that your tree, which has deep roots, by good, fresh water. Rather than all that other stuff out there. Now I'm going to invite the group to come back up. We're going to close with a song. It's called This Kingdom. Are we doing that song, This Kingdom? Okay. Now, I asked for the song. We did it about two months ago. And what I want us to do as we sing this song, think about the words, meditate on the words, consume the words, and let this be part of who you are. And whether or not you like the tune or not, that's really not the issue. The issue is it's, it's, it's meditating on who God is in this kingdom. If we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to shine light in our culture that is fast sliding into a very dark, dark place, man, we got to meditate. And we got to meditate on this King of kings and this Lord of lords. Amen? Let's sing together. Will you stand with me?